0: Turn me over to the book of Ephesians. The title of the message today is Vision Correction Forged Through Prayer. Vision Correction Forged Through Prayer. Would you stand as we begin to read the scriptures? Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And, verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Lord, help us as we study your word and help us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Three things I want to talk to you about. In this passage, one, seeing his purpose for us. Two, seeing his purpose, his, his, his people with us. And three, seeing his power directed toward us. His purpose for us, his people with us, and his power directed toward us. Paul is writing to the church that he planted. This congregation was birthed in the supernatural. Things were happening in Acts chapter 19 that didn't happen in many places where Paul went. And these people were growing quickly the congregation was multiplying and they were multiplying in a diverse way they were multiplying between jew and gentile and those were the two basic people groups that the that the new testament deals with Uh, even though there are people groups within the gentile groups uh, it was jew and there was everybody else on the planet and the jewish people would come into the knowledge of the truth having some historical background the gentiles would not the Jewish people had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob they had David, they had Solomon they had Moses, all of these biblical heroes, the Gentiles had Zeus, Hercules Apollo, mythical characters that they trusted in but weren't really real they had no context plus their dietary laws were completely different the Jews had some, the Gentiles none Gentiles could eat whatever they wanted the Jews had to be restricted in their diet um And this is part of the reason why we we have to pray over our food. The the Jews, in in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, when you come into the land and find that it's prospering and, and it's giving you everything that you need, make sure when you finish eating that you rise and bless the Lord your God for the provision that he's given you, lest you begin to think that my power, my own hand, has wrought this for my benefit. So the practice of the Jews was to pray after they ate, not before. Why? Because if they stayed within the dietary laws of what God said eat, they didn't need God to bless it. He already said what was good. They just needed to thank him for the provision that they just experienced. So after their meals, they would rise and pray after. But Paul then says to Titus and Timothy... Now, make sure you sanctify everything with the word of God in prayer before you put it in your mouth. Why? Because you have no idea where that's been, who prepared it, or what you're about to eat. And it needs some prayer before you put it in your body. Gentiles and Jews had different ideas about how to perceive life. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul deals with this issue more than he deals with it in any other congregation, talking about how God broke down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles and made the two disparate groups, sometimes antagonistic, one, encouraging the Ephesians, if you will, that no, you don't need a Jewish service in the morning and a Gentile service in the afternoon. You can actually worship together, giving us a pattern for how antagonistic groups actually come together and be one black white folk we have some history that is not as pleasant as we would like it to be how in the world do you find a biblical pattern that allows us to come together in unity when there are so many differences and sometimes offenses we look at the book of Ephesians and we allow that to be the template upon which we build and construct all that we have now there are many people that don't look at it like that They believe that the book of Ephesians is a helpful book, but they're not trying to construct things on the basis of it. I am. Our staff is. Everything we architect here is all about that. Trying to figure out how in the world we can make groups that don't like one another friends. Making adversaries advocates. Making enemies friends. Because that's what God did with Brett. It's important that we understand the context in which Paul is now writing this preface because he's about to get into some things that are very hard for them to, to, to bring together. They'd rather do things separately and call themselves Christians in separate camps. But he's saying, no, 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 we are one. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. I'm convinced that there is no way for any of the things that are exhortive in this passage to be accomplished without prayer. And so if you're having any difficulty with the things that I'm about to talk about, you need to come to God in a way that allows you to experience him in prayer that that, that now gives you the information you need about how you need to talk to him. Not just coming to him in prayer saying, Change them, please, because they are getting on my last nerve. You know what they did to me, God. I know I can't get them, but you can. I forgive them. But vengeance is the Lord, right? So teach them a lesson so they won't mess with God's child anymore. We may not say that, but we kind of believe it. Because if something bad does happen to the people who hurt you, do you weep? Do you weep? Do you say, oh, no, Lord. No, 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 no. Have mercy. Or do you say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See that? See that right there? Mm. prayer allows you to talk to, your, to God about those that don't like you well Lord have mercy why because you've had mercy on me oh remember all those folk that you want to put in the category who, of who need something from God to teach them a lesson there are as many people out there saying that same thing about you Mercy is the thing with which we need to lead. It's the virtue that allows us to, to rightly calibrate our relationships. He says, I pray that God opens your eyes. Now, you've got a set of eyes that are natural, but he's not talking about those. He's talking about your spiritual eyes. You've got another set of eyes that you rarely use. And as, 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 as good as they might be, when we use them, Generally, we still don't have 2020. Paul said, I see, now we see in, in 1 Corinthians 13, in a mirror or a glass dimly. So even when you get really good at, at developing the eyesight that is secondary to your natural, but should be primary in your spiritual, you still don't see clearly, but at least you see well enough to direct you in the way you should go. But most people don't see well at all. I, I, I actually need these glasses. I know that fashion today says that you can put on glasses without prescription that are sunglasses and have these fake lenses. And it just looks good. I don't understand that at all. You can call me a boomer all you want. When I was growing up, I needed glasses at the age of seven, second grade. And it was because I couldn't see a thing that the teacher was writing on the board. And so after a minute, everybody recognized, breast blind. <laughs> and so they took it to the doctor. And back then, there was no fashion to eye care. You had these big black things. And, and, and you didn't have polycarbonate. You had glass. And so my, my vision was so bad, like 20, 350. That means, <laughs> that means what people can see at 20, you, you can't. It's bad. It's real bad. And so my lenses were super thick. Called me four eyes, Coke bottle guy, everything. And now there are people actually wearing glasses for no reason at all with respect to whether they can see. They can see just fine. In fact, one of them was my son. I said, what you doing? He said, Dad, they look good. I said, well, who told you that? But when I take these off, I can't tell whether you're black or white. (laughs) I I, I can barely see shades of color, but it's just a blob, just nothing. I am that handicapped with respect to my sight. But it reminds me regularly, and I've been praying to God from day one that he would heal my eyes, and it's been a 43-year prayer, and I'm still trusting. It hadn't happened yet. But until then, you look good. And when you can't see as well as you need to spiritually, you need to ask God for help to give you some spectacles that will increase your ability to determine what's in front of you. Because you can't go in the right direction if you can't see where you're going. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. Your eyes need to be open, and it happens through prayer. As Pastor AJ said, we are asking God on a regular basis, through our staff, through our prayer leaders, for God to do this for us so that we can see, and, and, and please understand, even though we like to apply most of Scripture to our individual lives, and there's nothing wrong with that, that's really good, this here Paul was talking about corporately. He was saying to the Ephesians, I want your eyes to be open so that you might understand the hope of your calling together, because you're called to win a city, Church of Ephesus, It's not just about your individual. It's about how you are connected to other people to do something greater than you could ever do individually. So I need your eyes to open, and I'm praying that that happens. If your eyes are not as open as they should be, you're lacking the proper prayer life. God wants you to pray more, talk to him more about what it looks like for you to be what you need to be and with whom you need to be. Let him open your spiritual eyes, that you might see the purpose for which you've been placed on the planet. And that's what he's talking about in this first, first part here, that your eyes might be able to understand the hope of his calling, not just his calling in terms of what he did on the planet, but his calling in terms of all that he does. Jesus did some things on the earth that were unparalleled, and then he sat at the right hand of God the Father after the resurrection, but he's still working And he's got a calling. He said, I am going to build my church. That's what he is engaged in. And that means that his calling is inseparable as he sits on the throne from your progress. It doesn't mean that your progress is that which which dictates whether he's successful or not. He's going to build his church with or without you. But we cannot determine who we are to be unless we understand who he, he is and what he is doing. And so his purpose is aligned with our purpose. And our purpose is to please him every day by doing what he's called us to do. Every parent understands a little bit about what I'm speaking. Uh, when, when their child is born, it's a beautiful moment. And when, when that, that human being emerges from mama... There's there's a sense of beauty and awe, but there's also this sense of hope. What is she going to be? Who is she going to be? What is she going to do? How can we help her do that? How can we help him do that? A sense of purpose is hardwired into the parents so that they can prepare that child For that which needs to to equip them to do everything that they are called to do. And God has the same kind of thing. When we get born again, he says, I've got a hope for you. You are to fit in my son's plan in a miraculous way. And I want you to know that there's a purpose that you can do like nobody else can do it. It doesn't mean we need to compare ourselves with others. Because others might be able to do something similar, but not like you. You are specific And our job is to find out what our purpose is. And if we don't know it, to make that one of our primary pursuits of life. Why am I on the planet? How can I please you, O God? And that comes by asking him that. Prayer. Lord, what are you doing with me? And what are you going to do with me? I need to know that. And I beg you not to contextualize the the purposes of God simply within the, the context of what you think is most important in terms of ministry. People look at what I do and what our staff does as being the most important ministry purpose. It is not. It is important, but it is not the most important. Everybody has an important purpose mine is not any more important than yours yet if i don't do mine you can't do yours as well and if you don't do yours we can't win our city as we're supposed to everybody's got something significant to impart and to 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 add to the entire whole and we need all people to understand that which they are called to do and pray that god would open your eyes that you might see what you're called to do and how you fit within this people, because this is a corporate exhortation that Paul is given. Secondly, he says that you might understand the riches of his glory, of his glory, of the inheritance in the saints. This one here, you really need God to give you good vision for, because he's talking about there is, there is real value in the person for you that you don't like. See, it's easy to love those, Jesus said, that love you. That's not hard. You can find value in that. But he said, love your enemies. Why? Why do I have to love somebody that I really don't like? Or somebody who really doesn't like me? Why? There are so many other options, God. There are eight options billion other people I could like why are you choosing that I have to like him because it's exemplary it's a way that you can show your gratefulness to God for how he liked you who used to be his enemy an enemy of the cross were you going in the opposite direction, not doing what he wanted you to do, not caring, walking by, if you will, seeing him hang there and thinking, "Ah, you're really a killjoy to my plans. I'm not interested right now. An enemy. And yet he kept pursuing you, kept loving you, kept letting you breathe his air, use up his resources on the planet, get a good job. He continued to bless you though you cared nothing for him and the things that you thought you did that were a benefit to him were really a benefit to you they soothed your religious soul they didn't make him happy but they made you feel better about your disobedience the tip you gave to God in an offering reading your Bible every once in a while yet your life was going in the opposite direction and you thought you could just wipe it all over give a whitewash to- moment to it by doing some religious things. He still pursued you and brought you in and didn't just make you a servant. He called you by his own name, brought you into his house, gave you an inheritance, forgave you of everything you've done, and gave you a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, made you feel like there was a reason for you to draw breath. He has treated us so well. And we have done so much more bad to him than anybody has done to us. And it is hypocritical for us to receive the forgiveness that we so desperately want and even more need and then not do the same for others who have offended us. This one is hard. Oh, the first one isn't easy, but this one here, because people offend you. They're really good at it. Some of them got PhDs in it. (laughs) And remember, some of the people are you. You have to open your eyes to see the riches in somebody else whereby you're constantly looking at them in the red and thinking, you are, you are detracting from me. You are taking from me. You're causing me to be in a deficit. I'm less, I feel less than when I'm with you. You have to see the riches of the glory of the inheritance. There's actually an, inher- an inheritance in that person that you don't like. And remember, this isn't, this isn't fun to say, but God likes people you don't. He's pouring his love out on him when you wanted to pour his wrath out on him. He's caring for him when you wanted to stop. He's doing amazing things for him when you're suffering and you don't understand why. His mercy is unplumbable. There's not a bottom to it. He is so kind and so generous and so benevolent. This is a hard one. But we are called to be people that express in an exemplary fashion what it looks like to represent him in the earth so other people can understand better who he is. Thus, he says, love those who don't love you. Be kind to those who persecute you. Love your enemy. Understanding the inheritance that is is on the inside of somebody else requires a sight that you presently are not employing. You've got, you just haven't employed it. All you, all you focus on, generally speaking, all we focus on is the offense. It's the difficulty we have in relating to somebody. is the problematic pathway through which we have to go in order to find any healing or reconciliation. That's all we focus on. We don't focus on the inheritance that might be there if we press through the cross and find out what's on the other side. And I am not just speaking theologically. I'm speaking experientially. I know what it's like to be offended and I know what it's like to offend. To do people not right, to give harm when I shouldn't have. And to come back and need to repent and say, I am sorry I failed you. I also know what it's like to receive an offense and then offer the forgiveness without having to redecide whether I'm going to do it. To having already prededicated my soul to be that which would be merciful to those who are not to me. This is the way I have lived. Not perfectly, but intentionally. And as a result, it allows us to be us. Black and white folk in the same room, on the same staff, in the same small group. Prayer partners together that happen? Let somebody say, I choose to make somebody that I don't like. Somebody who is disparate from me. Somebody I would not naturally fellowship with. I choose to make them my friend. The people with who God has put me, I would never naturally be. Oh my goodness, never know. In the Every Nation world, which is the organization under which this church finds its home, I've been a part of that for 30 years, and I've been walking with the same men who started it, now our church was close to being a founding member, who started it, I've been walking with them for over 40. And all of the principles are white. When I got saved, I got saved in a predominantly uh, uh, white church in, in Indiana University, and um, I was asking God, "Do I have to stay?" <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just being ready. Do, do I, do I, do, I, do I, is this, is, There's a black church down the street, and um, I, 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 do I? He said, "These are your people," and I said, "Yes, sir." I was happy to embrace them. I said something in the first service. It probably needs qualification, but it wasn't wrong. And I needed to amend it by letting everybody know that it was a quote. But I said, sometimes white people just don't get it. And there was a a quiet over the audience just like right now. (laughs) But it was a quote from my friends who were white who told me, after 30, 40 years of living with me Brett, we just didn't get it we didn't understand the pain through which you went we didn't know the sacrifice you made we didn't understand everything that we were doing or saying that was insensitive, we didn't get it as a result of God telling me to stay in Indiana those relationships have been a part of my life to today I've held on I've held on through offense. Yes, I've been offended, and I've offended. But the cultural one whereby most black folks would figure out how in in the world to find another way to be more comfortable. I chose not to take. And what I should have added in the first service is not only was it a quote that a white person said to me is, I just didn't get it. But most black people don't get it. We're waiting for the other party who is the offender to apologize. Then we can begin to make it right. Where would you be if God had that strategy? The biblical pattern. is that the offender pursues, excuse me, the offended pursues. That's the biblical pattern. The one who is most hurt figures out how in the world to make it most right. It was a conversation. It's not in the Bible, but I know there was a conversation between God and Jesus, the Son of God in heaven. Um, you, you're going to have to go. And... Uh, <clears throat> You're going to have to be an example of how to live and, and uh, they're, they're, they're not going to treat you well. It's going to be bad. But why do I have to go? Why? Because they just don't get it. We just don't get it. The offender rarely ever gets it. They don't know how deeply they hurt the offended. They don't know. They don't know how. They don't know the depth of the pain. They barely know how to fix anything except to say, I'm sorry. They need coaching on how they can be different. The Father decided to be the the one who would come, send the one who would come in Christ and be the one that would show us how to live, show us where our offense was, be the sacrifice for our sin, substitutionary benefit for our consequences and then rise on our behalf to not only forgive us, but empower us to be what we should be. The offended in scripture is the one who pursues. I decided to pursue and help all my friends who didn't have a clue, and it was my privilege to do that. I didn't do it perfectly, I've done nothing perfectly, but I was intentional, and as a result, we had a campus conference in January, national conference, where we have a, campus ministry is what we do. It's not just community church, but we reach out to the young people of the world to try to help them understand their purpose in God. And so we have active outreaches on most of the campuses in the Washington metropolitan area. And wherever we plant a church, that's what we do as well. And we've got some 85 churches in America as every nation. And so we brought all of our college students together in January, as many as could make it, about 2,000 kids. And I walked in the room on the opening night, and I looked around. And I thought, is this an HBCU gathering? (laughs) I said, did I miss something? HBCU is historically black colleges and universities. I said, did I miss something? I said, is Texas here? Is University of Illinois here? It was everybody. But it was at least 40% African-American, at least. I'm, I'm being very conservative. My other friends. It, with whom I walk, say it was at least 50%. I said, how did all these black folk get up in here? <laughs> I said, we only make 11% of the population, and less than that in college, about 9%. How are we filled with black people in a non-black ministry? After the conference, all my friends came to me with whom I've walked for 40 years and said, thank you, Brett. Thank you. They were in tears. I said, "Thank you for setting the example. Thank you for building something that people could see could work. Thank you for not hollering and screaming at us every day about how wrong we were. Thank you for being being somebody who was tolerant and patient, so you could receive, and all of us could receive an inheritance." These kids don't know what they've inherited. They just show up and are happy and are praising God. They walk away thinking, this was the greatest weekend of my life, wow. But they have no idea what it took to get there. All the strategy, all the sacrifice. Paul says this, if you don't understand through sight, The riches of his glory, of your inheritance in the saints, of his inheritance in the saints, of what it looks like for him to have an inheritance that he wants to give you. We are his followers. So what he has, we are to get. If you don't understand that, you'll pick and choose who you ought to relate to. You'll find the most comfortable place to be and stay until it becomes uncomfortable because people are running it. And by the way, if you find that perfect spot where there is no issue, please don't join because you'll mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) People are flawed. They make mistakes. And I've decided I'm not going to start over. To start over means you're throwing relationships in the trash. Your inheritance away that you, you put a lot of effort into for a long time and then beginning someplace else. I said, no, 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 I got too much history. They've endured with me, I've endured with them. Very rarely can you find anybody who's been with somebody for 40 years. The most committed marriage, it's hard to find somebody like that. My wife and I are close, we're 36 and a half, we're gonna get there in a minute. (laughs) Gonna get there in a minute. But I've got people with whom I have not said, and I do, that I walk with, that are on the opposite end of the complexion spectrum. And as a result, AJ is the executive pastor. Tiffany is our primary worship leader and pastor. listen to me, we don't talk about these things every day. We built a platform that allows us to live right. God has given us architecture that allows for us to be in a comfortable environment. And when issues come up in our society, we dialogue about what we need to do best. But Ephesians allows us to understand the purpose of our joining so that even if we disagree about how we come to it, we're not leaving each other. We're staying together. There's value in what Paul is trying to communicate and I'm, I'm taking too long. I'm going to go on to the next point because I think you got this. Seeing his power toward us, his dunamis in the Greek, his power that is directed toward us who believe. If you find the two points that I said, this, I've articulated this morning, as those which are hard to fulfill, I want you to know it's not just hard, it's impossible. There's no way you can do it on your own. M-possible. That's two M's, by the way. M-pop, yeah. <laughs> the only way it can be done is with the power of Almighty God helping you. And this is why he says, I want you to understand the surpassing greatness of his power, the incomparable Greatness of his power. Why? Because whatever power the problem you have has, his is more. However, the, however big the relational difficulty is in your life, his power can overcome it. There is nothing that surpasses his power. No matter whether you view yourself as supremely insignificant, somebody who could never do anything really great for God, That thing sticks in your mind and it prohibits you from moving forward in the way and in the length, the longevity of your progress, as you should because you look at yourself every day and limit yourself. God's greater than your own perception of your well-being. Who you really are is not defined by who you are. It's defined by Scripture. And you need to look at what God says about you and believe it more than what you say. What would anybody else says? And I'll stop on this. I got right with God in 1981. Indiana University. And I was really messed up. Much more messed up than I am now. And when I got right with God, I knew I was called to ministry about three weeks later. I knew it. And uh, I went into ministry seven and a half months later. And came here 15 months after I got right with God. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to put a, a person that young in God in ministry, but I pursued it. They said they didn't tell me I couldn't do it. And when I came here Anne was at Indiana University doing ministry, my mother was trying to explain me to all of the people that were her best friends and folks that I would call uncle and aunts. So Brett graduated. What's he doing? Um, well, he, he, he's in ministry. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's what it's so. So, so is he is, is, is in a church? Well, it's a startup in Washington. Oh, he's starting a church. Well, no, he's a part of a people who started a church. Well, they hired him. No, <laughs> he had to raise his own support. Oh, he went to he, went, he found a foundation. No, he asked people for money. <laughs> so. So they didn't say this, but in their mind, they were thinking, nobody thought he was worthy enough to hire? He had to go out and ask folk in order to work in ministry? Well, every day, what does he do if it's a startup? Well, he goes to Howard University. Oh, they employed him. No. (laughs) Everything about what she was trying to explain was trying to stay away from the idea that my boy's a failure. I don't know what he's doing I don't know if he's ever going to become anything and the point is most people thought that about me and I couldn't blame them I couldn't give a really good explanation as to why I was doing what I was doing except God called me I didn't do it all well (laughs) I made more mistakes than I had successes but somehow or another August of 82 wound up to be the first Sunday in June with you I don't know how we got here except that I just didn't quit. I just kept my hand to the plow. I realized I saw something. And his power was greater than any inhibition I had about who I was supposed to be. Any restrictive mindset that said, Brett is only this. He's just a kid from Kansas. What in the world can he do? He doesn't even, at the time, didn't even go to seminary. Are you kidding me? Who is he? I just kept thinking, My God's bigger. He's got something for me. And 42 years later, you show up. And we planted 13 congregations. And we got a vision to help win our city. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. As I stop, it makes no sense except that. The power, the surpassing greatness of his power overrode all of my deficiencies and is still doing so all this comes through prayer understanding having God open my eyes having God open my eyes to see what I'm supposed to be having God open my eyes to to understand who you are the value that I should place on you and never leave you never leave you and then allowing the power of God To supply all that I need so that when an obstacle comes to those two prior things, I can overcome them. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would bless these people. Pour out your grace on every one of them.